Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Dawn Dixon is CEO of Popcom, an automated retail company that uses facial recognition, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology to help retailers collect valuable customer insights. As a serial entrepreneur with over 16 years of experience in marketing and business development, Dawn has launched several successful cash flow positive companies since 2002. Her ventures include Flat Out Heels, Lifestyle Cafe, and and as I mentioned, Popcom, which is a software as a service company or a SaaS company, after identifying a need to make vending machines more intelligent. This is a really info-rich and engaging conversation, and I'm super excited to share it with you. So buckle up. It's going to be an amazing ride. And you know what time it is. Time to listen, learn, and leverage. So let's get started. Dawn Dixon is a light worker, an entrepreneur, founder, CEO of Popcom, investor, internationally renowned speaker, graduate of The Ohio State University, the first African-American female founder worldwide to raise $1 million using equity crowdfunding, and she is absolutely living her dreams. And it's an honor and a pleasure to have this conversation and this connection, my dear, is long overdue. So Dawn, welcome to Tech Intersect. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate you leading with flight worker because, you know, that's how I feel about myself. A lot of times people like see the business side and not like the person. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, you are very intentional with leading with that type of mind, body, spirit balance that speaks to me a lot. A lot of people don't know that some time ago I started out as a spoken word artist mm. and my first book was Seasons of Her. And the most inspirational part of that collection is the fall section. Fall is my favorite season. And I believe that that is the proverbial harvest of self. It's the opportunity that after you've gone through a spring and you're planting summer, you're nurturing, fall can be the harvest and winter can be a time for pruning. And so a lot of what you talk about and what you do and what you share speaks to that side of me. Um, my I guess most notable piece is called Find Your Own Shine. So anytime I see somebody talking about light and light worker, yeah, you had me at light worker. So um, I see that. Now, you've done a lot of interviews and you've shared a lot about your origin story. Ordinarily, I would start with that and have people kind of lead up. And that may be a part of, of your answer. We'll see where we go. But I want to approach it a little bit differently. You are from all outward appearances, laser focused on creating not just products and services or even a brand or brands, even though you are doing that extremely well, but really, as I understand it and how I feel uh, what you're doing about legacy, generational wealth, 
And I'm interested to know what about your life and your light has led you to be the successful, savvy founder that, that, and that might even make you feel uncomfortable saying, but it's that, that's what we see. Um, so I hope you receive it in the spirit in which I'm oh, giving it. Thank you. I claim it too. And I accept it. Excellent. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about that. What led to this moment? Um, I think just everything that I have done in my life has been on this path, whether I was aware of it at the time or not. It's always come down to me trusting myself and like letting my inner guidance system kind of guide my steps. And, you know, I've been an entrepreneur almost 20 years. It's 19. It'll be 20 you know, this summer. Wow. And so, um, you know, everything was in tech or tech enabled and really everything that I've done addressed a problem that I experienced and it made it fun. Like I've always had a good time doing what I've been doing. I mean, I knew it was possible to, to be an entrepreneur because I seen entrepreneurship all around me growing up. Mm. Uh, my parents having small businesses, whether it's my mom having in-home daycare growing up or my dad doing home renovations and like house flipping as they call it. And so I always knew like you can make money doing what you love and just like doing your own thing, like outside of the box. I've seen it so much. There's a lot of hustling that happens in the black community. And my thing has always been, you know, less hustling and more building sustainable, scalable businesses. So like take that passion and that hustle that you have to like get it going and like make it into something that can actually you know, grow. Absolutely. And you're right about the community, the black community in particular, so much of our success through whether it was intentional to focus on entrepreneurial endeavors, or we were locked out of other opportunities and had to make a way out of no way. So that is a very strong part of our community. Um, You know, we talk about side hustle and hustle. And a lot of it is just that the work that we do, the energy that we do to make sure that you know, I don't want to just survive, but thrive. But so many people begin as entrepreneurs to survive. The truly, truly successful ones begin to transition from surviving to thriving. So I definitely understand that in my own family as well. And so this leads you to, you founded Popcom two years ago. Is that accurate? No, I actually founded Popcom in 2012. All right. So, yeah, you've been in the game for a minute. You've been an entrepreneur for two decades. Tell us about Popcom. I want to look under the hood a little bit because on this podcast, Tech Intersect, I focus on the intersection of law, business, and technology, and you live at the heart of all of those things. And the listeners are always intrigued by the tech side as well. And I'm specifically intrigued by this idea of smarter vending. And as I understand it, and you'll tell us more about using facial recognition, AI, maybe machine learning to curate dynamic vending experiences. So you saw a need, you met a need. Tell us about that. Yeah. um, Popcom actually was born out of my company, Flat Out of Heels, which are rollable ballet flats, rollable, foldable, compact shoes for women to wear when their feet hurt. Yes. I love that. I love everything about that. (laughs) Which is still a business that I have today is still in business. And my idea was to like rescue women's feet when their feet hurt. And I felt the best distribution for that would be in a vending machine strategically placed in locations where women are wearing high heels, like nightclubs, airports, convention centers, things like that. And that's how I got into the vending business initially as a retailer wanting to sell my product direct to customer faster 
with less friction and easier for me because I don't have to deal with like selling wholesale. I can control my messaging and things like that by selling direct. And that's what I really realized that the vending industry was just very archaic, you know, hadn't been innovated in many years. Not a lot of updates have been made to the hardware, really wasn't a lot of technology as far as software. And so I love solving problems. So, you know, I want, that was my own problem. I wanted to make smarter machines for myself. Right. When I set out to do that, then I realized this is something that many other people wanted, whether they're retailers who are selling products and vending machines already that wanted to collect data or just people that were selling online and in stores and in the middle of the mall or, and they wanted another way to, you know, to really go into an omni-channel, which is like multiple channel distribution. Hmm. And the software, I really just wanted to look and see like, how can the needs be met? Like, how can you collect data? And what are the tools that I could use that were already out there? And so, you know, I started to see how face recognition was being used in the retail environment to understand customer behaviors in a brick and mortar. So like in stores. Right. And so I said, well, if I could put this on a vending machine, this could kind of be the same functionality as an IP address on a computer, right? We could use not exactly facial recognition because we don't recognize you. It's more so facial detection to detect your age and your gender and your emotion and, you know, your behavior, but we don't take any identifiers so that there's no like risk of data breaching or even like violation of any privacy. But that's really how it started. Just like wanting to know deeper customer insights and behavior patterns, traffic patterns, and then to be able to make product suggestions and engage with customers. Basically the same tools that are already being used online through Google Analytics and Shopify and AdRoll and the many tools that exist for retailers online. Right. When you reached out to the various places that you intended to place, uh, as I understand it, both the the hardware and certainly the software as you're talking through, what's that experience been like for you in terms of, we'll talk about pitching investors in a second, but also your partners for purposes of placement and adoption of the software and, and the hardware? So, I mean, we started doing like trade shows just And by the way, like just full transparency, the product's not out in the market yet. We've been developing it for years and we just actually launched it in January of this year. So last month at the CES show and NRF trade shows. Yes. we've We've been in the prototyping proof of concept beta phases for several years, building products and taking them out to the public at trade shows and events that are industry specific to just Mm -hmm. get feedback and see if we're on the right track. It's very capital intensive to develop hardware and software, you know, have to have software engineers and, you know, hardware engineers and electrical engineers. And like so many people are involved in the process, like 90% of it is completely out of my hands. Mm. And I'm just more so like the visionary and like the manager um, of everything, but, you know, getting adoption and interest and customers to sign up was really easy because, it's a demand for it. And people really, they want it. The The challenge for us continuously has been just getting the product delivered at scale, meaning fast and like high volume. Right. And that is a curious, curious thing about taking your proof of concept and making sure that 
there's sufficient demand and then achieving the necessary scale uh, once it hits. Uh, I know that when I think of so many entrepreneurs and inventors or creatives that go and pitch this fantastic idea and the worst thing in the world is, yes, I'd like to buy it. Yes, I want it now. And yes, I want, I don't know, 500,000 units yesterday. And they don't have the capacity to fulfill. and, And we know that you have the attention of a particular industry or a sector within an industry for a very short period of time. And if you can't hit it, then there's somebody else right behind you who might. So being prepared and very thoughtful about your approach seems like the the sweet spot to me. And obviously it must be because as you move forward through 2020, there's so many, I've been uh, watching your feed and there's so many exciting announcements that, that have been hitting and one of them focuses on fundraising. I like your approach very much to VCs and also Arlen Hamilton's, who even being in the VC space, she'll tell people every day, um, this is not for most people, <laughs> try and find money somewhere else. And the point is well made. So I want to talk a bit about that because I want to talk about team. When I first reached out to you, it was in reaction, I believe, to a tweet about talking about having the the right people in your business and personal life, quite frankly. Yeah. but who surround you in your business life, because without that that solid team, it's just not going to work. A part of that is investors, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about the team, your business, financial, legal. The question may appear to have an obvious answer, but I'd love to hear your take on why it's critically important to have the right business, financial, legal team members in your inner circle as early as possible as an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, I would say out of everything I've ever done and continue to do, human resources and team building is the hardest. Right. It's just, you know, because you really don't really get to know a person until you actually work with them for an extended period or you're faced with adversity and you see how they respond and how they behave or challenge or so everybody looks good on paper. I mean, at least at this stage, everybody looks good on paper. Right. So just like making sure really it's a culture fit. So even more so than skills, it's really a hiring, aligning, partnering, contracting based on the culture fit. If you guys can actually work together, your work style, your communication style, what time of day you work, like all those things really matter when you're working with someone very closely. So definitely made several mistakes in hiring through the years. Right now, I feel like I have the best team that I've ever had, but it took me years to get here to this point. And we do need new team members. So it's like, you know, as soon as we get comfortable, it's like, okay, now we need somebody else. We need to bring somebody else <laughs> the whole situation. And so, you know, definitely it's it's an ongoing, difficult thing to do. But once you do find that fit, it just really feels right. And so mm-hmm. it's just important because you're way more effective and efficient and when you can collaborate and co-create with people. But in the professional services, it's very difficult because – you know, there's so many different levels of skills and expertise when it comes to legal and financial. And so I've had a lot of challenges just trying to find the right people that can meet our specific needs because we have such a niche industry. You know, we raise money different. We're non-traditional. Right. Our cap table is non-traditional. So it has been difficult to find like the right people. I literally just hired a new CPA last week. So, and I've went, you know, I've went through a lot of financial people over the years just because what we do, a traditional bookkeeper is not, doesn't align. You know, if you're dealing with venture capital dollars and investors and dilution and depreciation of assets and 
you know, R&D tax credits and audits. And like, these are specialized things that people may think they can do, but, you know, a lot of times it's just you have to really make sure that the exact things, skill sets that you need, they already have experience and they're not like learning on your dime, which has been my experience. A lot of people get their first experience learning from me and I'm like well you know I need you to know this already right you love listening to podcasts but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast maybe you want to build a brand grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby whatever your reason for making a podcast Buzzsprout is the place to start Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first... A word on an exciting opportunity. The Tech Intersect podcast is released to the public every Friday. But as an Advantage Evans member, you'll receive first listen access and live Tech Intersect Connect video chats. Premium members also receive a copy of my ebook, The Gen Xer's Guide to Upskilling in a Web 3.0 World, and unlimited access to the video chat replays and bonus episodes. My pro members, ready to leverage what they've listened to and learned, receive access to the Upskilling Self-Guided course and VIP group coaching calls. So as you can see, Advantage Evans membership adds substantial value to your podcast experience. And there are three ways to take advantage. (laughs) See what I did right there? Of all that the Tech Intersect podcast has to offer. So subscribe now and let's listen, learn and leverage together. And now, back to the conversation. And when I think of all of the innovation going on in, in, in technology in particular, you really do have to find the sweet spot of sufficient, not sufficient, excellent skills, but also the connection is really important in terms of culture. And I actually want you to say a little bit more about culture. I think that will help listeners a lot, particularly those who are just starting out but put a, a fine point on this point about someone who knows the business or knows finances or is a CPA or is a lawyer isn't enough. Right. I'm a lawyer, and but I'm very clear about what I do and don't do. Now, I've been practicing since 1998. So, you know, you lo- learn along the way. The worst client is the one that you overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah. Even if you're a good fit. And I can think of times I'm so much better now. And I'm a quick study because I don't want to waste my time or money or other people's time or money to be sure. But it's about being savvy enough. And and as a matter of professional competence, knowing when you don't have the relevant skill set and making sure even if you stay on the team, that you help the person, your client, your customer to make sure that they have the right people. And sometimes it's worthwhile having someone who doesn't necessarily have the skills, but knows how to vet other people for you too. Right. Um, and I've been in that position. I, I practiced, um, among other things, but entertainment and literary law in particular. And when I would work with authors, I'm great about a contract and escalating royalties and all of the things that need to be there. 
but I'm not an agent. I, I play, I did literary placements because I had relationships, but I'm not an agent. Right. Um, and, but I'm great at vetting agents for an author. And some of my best experiences is making sure that they have me at, on legal and someone who's an agent out there in the world, making connections, doing all the things that agents do. And I believe the d- division of labor, stay in your lane, do what you do exceptionally well. And I think that makes the whole connection even better. I totally agree. And then that leads me to talking about investors because that's a necessary, not necessary, but if an investor is a part of a, of a squad, then that really becomes that long-term relationship that you tweeted about recently. I will connect listeners with uh, a link to this specific tweet that I'm going to quote, but it was a caution to founders about investors. And you said, founders who take money from anyone willing to give it to them suffer in the end. And you told folks to really understand the people you are taking money from and be sure, all caps, <laughs> that you want to spend the next five to 10 years of your life dealing with them. Talk to me about why you tweeted that and, and more about that point of view, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I tweeted that in response to a founder that I saw that had tweeted, he cold emailed 300 investors about his business and just like casting the net so wide and just saying any money, anybody want to give me money? I'm looking for money instead of taking the time and being really, really intentional and researching investors thoroughly researching their, you know, managing partners and their portfolio and understanding what value they bring to your business. And then crafting very specific, intentional and direct emails to them about why you believe it's a good partnership for both of you, um, right. for, you know, for you to take their capital and their help and resources and for them to invest in you because what you'll bring to the table. And so that's why I tweeted that because I'm like, you know, people are like, oh, I'm getting raising money is a numbers game. It's really not. It's really doesn't make sense to work together. You right. know, like I said in another tweet, I when I raised my venture round, it was like a little under a million dollars. It was like nine hundred and eighty thousand dollars. And I got money from VC and angels. I think I only pitched no more than 30 and I closed, I think it was six of them. Mm -hmm. And all of them were aligned with what I was doing in regards to like software or hardware or retail, or they had companies in a portfolio that are similar to mine. And sometimes that was the reason they said, no, they were like, we already have a retail technology startup in our portfolio. We don't want to do another one. You're kind of similar. But at least I did took the time to do the research to see does it make sense. And it just it's so exhausting trying to have all the conversations. But then it's like people act like investors are machines. Like nobody likes getting mass emails. Right. So they're people reading these emails. You know what's not to you. You can tell. And so that's why I said that. But then more so than just sending out mass emails, it's like, okay, you do get them to say yes. And then you don't like them as a person and don't want to deal with them, but you're stuck with them because you didn't take the time to get to know them at all. It's just like meeting somebody at a bar and saying, we're getting married tomorrow. Right. Literally. Because I was married. And I didn't make it 10 years. (laughs) You know, so it's like, it doesn't make sense. No, that's really important because it comes down to quality over quantity. Definitely. Right? You're wasting your time and other people's time uh, as you are. And there's a spirit or energy of desperation 
that I think repels the really the the resources and the people you need to actually be it successful. Does. And uh, that also comes from perhaps the mindset of lack, right? And and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when we we started this conversation talking about the hustle, I'm all about the hustle. I have I, I believe that my my day job is actually my side hustle, my entrepreneurial endeavors. That's my day. That's my main job. But when I think about the debt that is crippling people personally and trying to find a way out of those things, even if you're at a nine to five or nine to nine or whatever, but that same idea can also infect an entrepreneurial experience as well, really mess up a cap table, cause founders to compromise and dilute themselves into oblivion. So what's your advice to founders about navigating the VC game? You've started to speak to it a bit. But especially for underestimated founders, this idea of being mindful, intentional, what are some of the steps or advice that you would give for those who are just starting out and looking to VC or other uh, opportunities for raises to fund their endeavors? I would say make a list of who your competitors or similar companies are and look on Crunchbase and PitchBook. Ah, and yes. see who their investors are, because now you know those people invest. Those You can start from there. They invest in similar industries. Also, just start attending events and meetups and things that conferences and that are industry specific to meet the people there that are investing in the industry. It's not an overnight thing. I mean, you should start building relationships and start planning to raise money a year to six months before you need the money or you're mm. planning to raise the money because then you need to cultivate those relationships. So I literally was doing relationships a year before I needed to raise money. Right. Just letting right. them know what I was working on, what I'm doing, you know, that I'm building something, what they think about it, getting them involved and engaged, making them feel like they're a part of the process saying, can we have a coffee meeting once a, once a month to just check in, not asking for money. Right. Asking for opinion, asking for feedback, asking for direction, advice. They love to do that. And then that's why when, when it was time for me to raise my round, I closed it in three weeks because over a year I had been having coffee once a month with these people or going to meet up with them, not asking for anything. Right. I mean, they, they're not, they know I'm eventually going to ask, but when the time is right, but it's not like saying, hey, I just met you, you know, yesterday. Can you invest? It's very difficult to do that. Absolutely. And you touch on a, another really important point. At the end of the day, this is about relationships. It's two things, really. It's solving problems and building and honoring relationships. And that the cultivation and, and you know, the feeling that you put out and seems to be who authentically you are is it's authentic, <laughs> right? That people have gotten to know you over a period of time. They know you're very serious about what you're working on, that you're intentional, that you have a plan and that you're checking off the boxes as you go. And that's people who want to invest in someone who is going to turn around that investment, but also someone who they believe in. Yeah, exactly. And that comes from a series of relationship building activities. And, and I don't put cold call emails uh, on that list to be sure. So, all right, that is fantastic advice. Listen to her now and hear her later. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about, we talked about flat out heels a bit earlier. I want to hear about the lifestyle cafe. We connected on the Twitters around that too. And I am very serious. 
I'm going to come to wherever that Lifestyle Cafe is and get my vegan or green life on. But tell everybody about Lifestyle Cafe. Um, yeah, thanks. Lifestyle Cafe, it's a plant-based vegan restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from and where I currently live and where Popcom is headquartered. And um, really another, just another void, another problem was that the only vegan restaurant that was in the neighborhood where I lived, it closed down suddenly. And, you know, there was nowhere to eat except for at home or like across town. And so when I saw a for sale sign go up in the window for the building, I just was like, you know, my friend's a chef. She's always over here cooking and catering. And, you know, she's a professional chef, went to school and everything years ago. Let's see if we can get this restaurant. So I put together, she and I, a business plan, got the money together, got some investors and brought some partners in. And it was a really quick thing. It happened within like 30 days of just identifying that we want to try to get it and closing on it. So That's amazing. And do you intend for this to grow beyond one location? What's the vision? Yeah, we definitely have a lot of opportunity now to expand. It's certainly... It's a small business because the chef we have now is the one that actually developed all the recipes and she's in there cooking every day. So we need to definitely be able to train, you know, more people. So we're not rushing, but there are opportunities now to expand within the city. You know, there's a big demand for it. Our restaurant is small. It's a small cafe. So it only seats like 20 to 25 people at a time. And, you know, it's good turnover on the tables, but it's only so much you can do in a space that small, but it definitely meets the need. And I do see it growing for sure. Definitely. I mean, I'm a big part of the business side of things. So just right now, my bandwidth isn't there to take on another location. And but for now, we're doing really well. So we want to just take it, you know, do it for a year and see how it all goes. I think that is really exciting. And yet another example of I'm hungry. I'm in my neighborhood. Um, Yeah, I see a for sale sign. Boom, let's move. Um, Let's have a and you have the necessary people, right, to see that you envision what it would look like. You're meeting your need and also the needs of your community, which is also a really important part. Final question before we get out of here. Uh, We've talked a lot about the business side of things, but you also are intentional about balance in your life. You know you love to travel, unplug, get away. I find that to be as important, if not more, than the work and intentionality around building the business itself. It's making sure that you are building and protecting yourself in the process. Talk to us about that, why it's so important to you, and whether you've always been that way or you had to find your way to being more protective of your energy and your time. Um, definitely just self-care what they, you know, it's like a kind of a buzz phrase these days. People really don't right. understand what it means. And I recently po- published an article on Medium that says a me first way of life or, you know, me first mentality is not selfish, it's self-preservation. And I've always been this way of having the idea that if I'm not good within myself, if I'm not rested, if I haven't eaten well, if I'm not getting whatever makes me happy and feel fulfilled, um, working out or, you know, all those things, I can't be at my optimal self to be anything for anybody else. And so I always just say, you know, me first, I'm going to pour into me first. 
never expecting anybody to, you know, I'm like complete and whole already by myself because I do everything for me. And then I can give so much to others and still be okay. And then, you know, I don't look to others to pour into me or complete me or anything like that. And it's just, you know, it's not just going on vacation. It's just like unplugging, taking a nap, you know, making sure you get your eight hours of sleep, cooking or just making, you know, putting your clean, healthy food in your body, getting rid of people that are like toxic friends, not not gossiping, not participating in conversations or engaging in situations that aren't loving and positive, like self-care, all those things. People think it's just vacation. I couldn't always afford to go on vacation how I can today. But right. even if it's a staycation, come stay in the house, relax, whatever relaxing and whatever feels good to you, like do that. And that's what self-care is. Like it's, it's, it, it doesn't even cost anything. You know, for me, I splurge on myself because I'm in a place in my life that I've worked for 20 years and I splurge on myself. I spend money on myself, massages and vacations. And I give myself everything that I want because I feel like I deserve it. But prior to that, when, it, you know, I didn't have the means, it was like, I'm just going to take a nap and just lay in the bed all day or go for a walk or spend time with my family without the phone or, you know, just things that are that are pleasing. And that's so important to do. That is really powerful. And it's an example of how you can succeed in business and you will succeed in life if you take care of yourself first. When I think of a cup runneth over mentality, anything that's already in the cup is for me. The part that rolls over or spills over, that's for everybody else. And I'm all about community building, but you cannot give what you do not have. Um, And so that resonates with me. And it's a lovely reminder to me today. You're supposed to be speaking to my listeners. You have ended up speaking to me. (laughs) And I appreciate you for it, uh, to be sure, in more ways than you know. How can people connect with you, continue to connect with your work, support your work as you continue to move forward? Um, you know, definitely LinkedIn is like the central place that I engage um, and post updates about what I've going on. And if you're in Columbus, Ohio, or you pass through, come by Lifestyle Cafe and Popcom will be raising money soon. Another crowdfunding campaign. So you can definitely stay up to date on what, you know, we're doing with Popcom by going to popcom.shop and just staying posted. Excellent. I will include all of that in the show notes. Dawn Dixon, I appreciate your time, your talents. I see you out there getting all the treasures. I am cheering you on from afar. I look forward to dining at Lifestyle Cafe and continuing this connection. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Look, Dawn Dixon is the real deal. Focused, committed, balanced, and unapologetically dope. She reminds us to know our purpose, our people, and our power. She's a woman of many talents, but I think her keenest entrepreneurial spidey sense seems to be the seeing a need, meeting a need vibe. Lots of founders see problems, problems all around, but she reminds us on this episode that only solutions scale. And also that who you build with is often more important than the solution itself. Because without the right people by your side, many a great solution will absolutely die on the vine. And finally, Dawn reminds us to have a me-first mentality and know your power. And this me-first power isn't selfish, it's self-full. Because empty cups don't overflow and empty vessels certainly can't fill others. 
So head on over to Twitter and IG and continue the conversation with me and with Dawn and this ever-growing Tech Intersect family. Thank you for the likes and the comments and the shares. I've met some of you in person at meet and greets and other events. Please continue to help me amplify this show and these amazing guests. Join me for an upcoming AMA or listen to an AMA replay at techintersectpodcast.com. Let's continue building together, folks. Okay, that's it for now. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.